you. Great. Um, yeah, so this is our second uh, sermon in the, in the series on, on kingdom vision, um, God's kingdom vision. And um, last week, Bert talked to us about Genesis 2. He talked about God's vision for, uh, for paradise, for his, um, for his community. And just a, just a very quick uh, recap of that, he talked about um, a place where uh, it was intimate um, and precious, a place that was designed and deliberate, a place for, where um, people had purpose and responsibility, where they had community and connection. Um, and uh, as we'll see when we kind of have a look at what's happening um, in the next chapters of Genesis, um, that vision was kind of undermined by the fall, by, by sin. Um, and so what we're looking at today is we're looking at Genesis 12. We're looking at um, the question of what is God's vision uh, for a kingdom on earth, a vision for, for all humanity. Um, so, so Bert looked at Genesis 2, um, and we're going to look at Genesis 12, um, but I thought uh, there's, there's nine verse, uh, chapters uh, in between uh, that probably need going over before, uh, before we look at chapter 12, just to understand the context. So, um, so very quickly, in chapter 3, if, you, if you've got your Bible, you can just have a look. I literally just looked at the headings pretty much. Um, chapter 3 is all about the fall. Sin happens in chapter 3. Um, we have uh, Adam and Eve eating, um, eating the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and getting expelled from the garden. In chapter 3, um, they're separated from God. Paradise is kind of over with. Uh, the Garden of Eden is, is blocked off, um, and, and humans instead have to, have to work hard um, uh, in, in their time on the earth, and their communication with God has been severed. Um, in chapter 4, sin starts. Uh, we then have the first murder, and the first murder is... Um, of Cain, who was the first person to be born, um, and he was the first person to be murdered by the second person to be born. Already, humanity is not off uh, to a good start at this point, right? Um, chapter five, then, is a genealogy. It's a list of all the descendants of, um, all the way from Adam uh, to Noah. Um, it's, it's just showing us that humanity, humans, are spreading. The people are spreading across the population. In chapter 6, um, we have this, uh, this section which just talks about ever-increasing corruption and sin. And, uh, and that's kind of the, uh, the prelude to the story of Noah's Ark, which happens in 7, 8, and 9. Um, humans are nearly wiped out because of how bad they are. And this is right at the start of the Bible, right, right at the start of, of humanity. Um, at the end of that, God promised that he was never going to flood um, the earth again. He was not going to um, nearly wipe out humanity again. He had to do something different. Uh, in 10, we have another genealogy. We have a list of the nations that are born out of Noah. This is the growth of humanity again. It's not just uh, the sons of Noah, but it's the nations that come out of Noah. So there's this sense that humans are spreading in, and the population is rapidly expanding. Um, so we know that humanity is getting bigger. And then finally, in chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of, the, of Babel. And that's, that's an important one to kind of keep in mind as we look at chapter 12. In the story of the Tower of, the, of Babel, um, we hear that all of the people of the earth have one language. And, uh, and they decide to come together to make a name for themselves. They build this, this big city, and they want to build this big tower um, so that um, they are kind of glorified. And what God does is he sends confusion. He, he sends these different languages so that um, the people can't come together and work uh, for their own kind of purposes. Um, and they abandon the city. They abandon the tower. Um, and their kind of their idea of um, a human-led, human-directed um, uh, purpose um, is kind of over, and they spread out. So, so these nine chapters, um, they're focused on this. There's this kind of a cycle that you might be able to see here. Um, this cycle of um, kind of expansion, growth, 
and then overreaching or ambition um, that happens, and then that leads to sin, and then that leads to kind of consequences or punishment. The, the humanity that we see here in chapters 3 uh, to 11 is not, um, the, it's not the kind of place that we heard described in chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden. It's not a place that's intimate or precious. It's not a place that's designed by the, where people are following God's design. Um, its purpose is kind of at odds with what God's purpose was. Um, the, the people are out to, to glorify themselves. Uh, the communities start to break down, especially after the Tower of Babel. Um, and at the end of chapter 11, we end up with another, another list, another genealogy. Um, and that's Noah's descendants this time. And there's a, there's a big list of generations. Um, and yet we're going to, we, we kind of, in Genesis, we skip chapter 11. We're, t- we're talking about uh, kind of Noah. And then we skip down this, this huge list of generations. We start talking about Abram, who is uh, tens of generations later. Um, and we don't hear anything about what's happened in between. Um, to me, that kind of suggests that this pattern is continuing. This, this, um, this growth and this, um, this falling away, this, uh, this separation, this corruption, um, is kind of continuing for generations after Noah until we get to Abram, because we don't hear there's nothing of note. Uh, so I assume it's the same kind of pattern that's happening. And so uh, we get to chapter 12. Uh, we get to meet this man, um, Abram. So at the end of chapter 11, um, it tells us just a little bit about him. We don't know a lot about him. Um, he's a descendant of Shem, um, one of Noah's sons. Although, actually, if you think about it, everyone was a descendant of Noah's sons uh, because they were the only people alive after the flood. Um, Abraham moved with his father to this place uh, called Haran, um, which is kind of towards Canaan from where, where they were before. And he's 75 years old when we meet him. He's, he's not um, a young man. He's married to Sarai, um, and she can't have children. She's barren. Um, and so they've moved with, their, with, with Abram's father and with his family. Um, and let's read what happens in Genesis 12. I've not got the whole passage up there, so if you want to read in your Bibles, um, flip to it now. Um, Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse uh, 1 to 9. Um, so the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. So um, the start of this chapter kind of begins with a, a request. Um, this passage is the start of, uh, of us understanding what God's kingdom vision is um, on earth, his vision for, for all humanity. It's his plan for this kingdom um, that's here on earth, not 
not his entire plan, not his, not his everlasting kingdom, but a kingdom that will um, kind of partially fulfill that vision and, and move towards that, um, that, that eternal vision that we're going to uh, learn about, hear about next week. Um, and it begins with this request, so for Abraham to leave his family um, and to leave his clan. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. This isn't something that's born from, um, from human ambition. It's not from Abram deciding one day that he doesn't like living with his, uh, with his parents and he wants to move out. It's not um, him deciding that he wants to go and make himself a great nation. It's something that's different to what we've seen in the, in the previous nine chapters, this cycle of humans trying to uh, do things for themselves. And this is something that's, uh, that's, that's uh, directed by God, not like what happens in chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. Um, this is something um, that is uh, directed by God. Abram's not kind of following this pattern that everyone else is following, which is this kind of tribal growth. You move around with your, with your families, and maybe, maybe you'll split off um, at some point, but generally you'd want to stay together. Um, and he's being asked to start something new. So um, God's asking Abram to go, leave behind the safety of his protection. Um, and where does he need to go? Well, the next verse, uh, the next part of the verse says, uh, to the land that I will show you. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He's saying to Abram, leave your family, leave your, leave your clan, leave your, um, your, your small town, uh, your, your homestead, whatever. Take your wife and just go and I'll tell you when you get there. Um, I really hate following directions when I don't know when, where I'm going. So um, if I'm driving somewhere new, I'll, uh, I'll like, type it into Google Maps. Um, but I'll need to know, like, what motorway am I going on? Am I going north or south? How far is it going to take me? Because if I don't have that, um, I find it quite stressful to be driving around not knowing where, um, if you're close or far away, um, if you're needing to turn or if you're going to be on the road for a while. I think it must have been pretty difficult for Abram to to here, just go and just, just start walking. He's not asking him, uh, go to this place, which is this many miles away. He's just saying, go and I'll let you know. Keep walking to I tell you. Leave your family. Leave your sense of security. Um, you're on your own. And why should Abram do this? We'll talk about uh, the, the promise that happens in a moment. But the first part of the promise is this, and I will make of you a great nation. He's telling Abram, go to this unknown land, leave your family, take your, your wife who can't have kids, and go to this place, and I will make you a great nation. Whatever it is that, that God's kind of got in store for Abram, whatever, whatever this vision is, this isn't something that matches up with the earthly vision of, um, of power or success that, um, that we kind of see people chasing after in the previous chapters. Abram's completely on his own. The Tower of Babel was built by all the people of the earth coming together. Uh, and instead, we've got Abram and his wife. Abram's old. His wife um, is probably old, and she also can't have kids. And they're being asked to go and be part of starting a whole nation. This, for this to work, Abram needs to rely completely on God. He needs to follow um, what God is telling him. Um, and so that's verse one. This is, this is uh, what happens in verse two, the promise uh, that God gives him. Um, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
we're going to kind of break this down uh, into kind of three, uh, three elements of, of this promise. And I think these, this promise sets out what God's kingdom vision is um, for all humanity. The first part, I will make of you a great nation. So, uh, so we've said that Abraham knows that, um, that he's completely helpless uh, to do anything by himself here. We know that this is a... Um, like it's not it's not something that he would be able to do in his own strength. But actually, it's interesting that um, that God says, "I will make you a great nation," uh, because I guess God could could possibly have said, "Go and make a nation for yourself." And Abram might have been an optimistic guy. He might have just said, "Okay, well, I'm not sure how that's going to work, but I'm going to take take my my wife and we'll, and we'll go anyway, and we'll we'll kind of figure figure things out." He might just have been like a glass half full guy. Um, but actually, that's not what God says. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will do it. The nation that's born from Abraham isn't like any of these other nations that are appearing, that are springing up all over um, in, the, in the book of Genesis. Because it's not just this, it's not, a, it's not about having more strength than the other tribe. It's not about um, just the luck of being in the right place where there's food and water and, and, and livestock and things like that. Israel don't succeed through um, excellent military power, through, um, through better tactics, but they succeed because it's God that made them a great nation. Abram kind of falls into uh, this trap of, uh, we talk about Abram's faith all the time, but he actually immediately falls into this trap of trying to do things by himself. In, um, in the rest of chapter 12, starting in, uh, in verse 10, um, we see Abram kind of getting himself uh, into a, a difficult spot because he's trying to do things by himself. So in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Essentially what's happening is Abram's taking a break. In verse 9, um, we see that Abram's built an altar um, to the Lord, and then immediately there's a famine, and he decides to go for a sojourn. It's, that's a holiday, right? That's a, that's a rest. Um, so he goes and he decides that he's going to take a holiday. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So, so he clearly knows that this is a dangerous thing for him to be doing. He knows that if he goes to uh, Egypt, um, it's likely that people will try and take his wife um, and that he might get killed for it. But he's, he decides that he's going to do it anyway because he comes up with this plan, right, to, to say that, that she's his sister and not his wife. Um, what happens next? So verse 14. Um, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abram has this plan, um, and it gets him close to the Pharaoh, um, and he has all of these good things, but it's at the expense of essentially giving up his wife. And Pharaoh's taken, him, taken her um, into his own collection of wives. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe, maybe Abram's, well, they're definitely well off. Maybe he's, a li- maybe he's kind of content here. Um, it's not great what's happened to his wife, but um, he's, not, he's not starving, certainly. The um, thing is, though, if 
he doesn't have his wife, uh, there's no way that he's going to be able to start a family. While they're in Egypt, there's no way that they can start a nation. And so um, they're essentially trapped there. It's not like they can just turn around and say, oh, actually, you know what, I'm going to take my sister and we're going to just, we're just going to go now. Um, that's not going to happen. He's essentially turned his holiday into like voluntary slavery. He's, he's walked himself into this situation where actually it's not unpleasant, the, situa- the, the environment that he's in, but it's not one that he can leave and it's not one where he's going to grow a great nation. Um, if Abram tried to do this all in his own strength, this would just be, he would just be another kind of footnote at the bottom of all of the other nations that are springing up um, at this early stage of humanity. Uh, we'll come back to what happens in this story uh, in a second. Um, but let's just think about uh, this first part of the promise, this promise that I will make you a great nation. Um, this tells us that, uh, that God's kingdom vision is one where God reigns, where he's the one that um, is in charge, where actually um, it's not driven by human power. It's not driven by human ambition or human ability uh, like the Tower of Babel. It's a place where God is in control. So God's, God's kingdom vision is a place where, God's vision for the kingdom is a place where God is in control. Abram doesn't make himself a great nation. In fact, he makes himself a slave to, to uh, the Pharaoh. Um, essentially, it's God who makes Abram and his offspring into a great nation. So the second part of the, uh, the promise uh, says, I'll make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. God's kingdom vision is one where um, there's a sense of right and wrong, where there's um, this idea that uh, if, if good things are done to this nation, then good things will happen. If bad things are done to this nation, bad things will happen. Um, just to dip briefly into, uh, into politics, not, I'm not going <laughs> to uh, go with my opinion on this, but um, there's some theologians, um, a lot of North American uh, theologians, um, that might use this verse to, to kind of justify um, supporting the modern nation of Israel. Now, um, there's theological arguments either side of whether or not um, that's the case. Um, But I don't think that that's what this verse is really um, trying to communicate. Our understanding of God's kingdom vision doesn't come from um, what our foreign policy should be to to Israel and Palestine, and those things are important. We need to work work those things out. But that's not what this verse is, I don't think, uh, talking about in terms of understanding uh, the kingdom vision. Instead, actually, what it's talking about is this, if we look at that first bit, I will make you a great nation. This is a nation that has been established and made by God. And so if you honor that thing that's been made by God, you're honoring God. And similarly, if you dishonor something that God's been doing, you're dishonoring God. This verse is about, uh, about our, our attitude to God. It's not about um, our attitude to physical, political entities and whether or not they, uh, they still follow the line or whatever. Oh, uh, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, so it's about aligning with, uh, with God's vision, and it's also about this idea that there are some things that aren't acceptable in the kingdom of God. And this is what happens uh, in the rest of the story uh, where Abram's in Egypt. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. 
And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. God makes this promise, uh, this, this warning, that if you dishonor um, me and my nation and, and what's happening here, um, then there'll be a curse. And then immediately we see that there is a curse that happens uh, when he gets dishonored. Um, it's interesting that actually Pharaoh doesn't know that he's doing anything wrong, right? Like he's, he thinks that this is just a, an unmarried woman, um, and he thinks that uh, he treats, treats the family quite well, uh, it, it sounds like. But actually that's still a dishonor, isn't it? That's still dishonoring uh, Sarai, because even though um, Abram and I guess her are not telling the truth about it, um, she's still married. And so from God's perspective, taking another man's wife uh, is wrong. That's, that's, that's dishonoring. Um, it's especially dishonoring when, um, when Sarai is going to be the person that, um, that gives birth to the, the offspring that, that set up um, the nation of Israel that comes from Abram. It's not a case of uh, what we see in, in the earlier chapter of Genesis where there's this corruption, where people are kind of making decisions for themselves. Um, actually, there's this one sovereign judgment from God. There's this one idea of what is good and should be blessed and what is not good and should be cursed. If we didn't have that, if that, if that wasn't there in God's kingdom vision, then how would it be different from any other nation? There's got to be... Uh, We've got to talk about sin uh, in, in the context of God's kingdom vision because God can't abide that. That's what separated uh, the people uh, in the, the garden. So the second thing that we can kind of take from this promise is that God is just, that actually um, sin has to be dealt with. There is this idea of, um, of, of cursing, of, um, of things that God cannot abide, um, and that's part of his kingdom vision. So the, uh, the final uh, part of the promise, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of this, uh, this corruption that's happening um, in, in these chap- early chapters of Genesis um, kind of tells us that um, it makes us kind of think, well, actually, this, this previous bit, I will... Bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. That suggests to me that actually there's going to be lots of people who do dishonor this nation. They're not all going to be blessing him. So somehow uh, there's going to be blessing for all of the families of the earth. What does this say about God's kingdom? Well, actually God's plan doesn't just include the offspring of Abram. It doesn't include just the nation of Israel. That is, that's integral. That's, that's um, crucial to his plan. But actually, his vision extends far beyond that. I think, I think the, the use of the word families here is, um, is really significant. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't say the people of the earth. He could be talking about individuals, right? He could be talking about um, all of the individuals of the earth. And he doesn't talk about nations. He doesn't talk about these established groups that are, that are brought together through human power, through human um, kind of ideas of ambition and of uh, dominance. But he talks about families, and the word families, I think, um, links back to the idea of connection and community that Bert talks about um, it with, the, with the Garden of Eden, with paradise. This community both with, um, with other human beings and with, uh, and with God. And so when we hear in this promise that we have blessings for the families of the earth, 
Um, it's a reminder that everyone's connected, that it's not just all of these people individually, um, but that there is a plan for, for more than just Israel, for the whole world, and that they're all connected. So how is this going to happen? How is the nation of, um, of Israel born from, from Abram going to bless all of the families of the earth? How are the people that are cursed going to be blessed? Because surely you can't have both at the same time. Something is needed to remove those curses, to, um, to bring these families together. And that's not going to be through human accomplishment. It's not going to be through, um, through human ambition or through uh, human power. But it's going to be uh, under the rule of God, and it's going to be due to um, his ability. Instead of a family where we've got humans uh, calling the shots, we've got um, God as the head, we hear in the first part of the, the promise, I will establish you. So this last part of the promise, I think, is the best part, but it takes thousands of years to, um, to take place, um, to come to fruition uh, from when, we, when it first gets mentioned to Abram. And we find um, that thousands of years later, we find the nation of Israel is actually being, um, being held captive under the Romans. Um, and during that time, during that time when, uh, when the, the, the nation is being dishonored, is being um, kind of pushed down, uh, we, we find one coming from the line of David, right, from, from, who's descended from, um, from Israel um, and from Isaac and Jacob. Um, we find the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the only one um, who can bring this blessing of families to, to, to all the families of the earth. God's kingdom vision extends from just this one promise to this, this man, Abram, who was um, probably a farmer, probably um, well, yeah, a rural um, a rural guy, um, he makes this, this promise and he says, I make of you a great nation. And it includes this, this bit at the bottom that we might just miss, that all of the families of the earth should be blessed. And from that comes um, Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, in Galatians uh, chapter 3, we have this, word, this uh, verse. Christ redeemed, it, uh, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You know, um, when we sat down to plan, uh, to plan our, ser- our series on kingdom vision, um, there's, there's loads of verses throughout the Bible that talk about God's kingdom that expand on it. Um, just a few chapters later, we, we get more, uh, more details of God's covenant um, with Abraham. But I think this verse, um, the kingdom is, but this verse um, sums up uh, God's kingdom vision. Uh, it's, it's the essence of, uh, of what God's plan is uh, for his people. And what does that have? It's, it's, it's a place where God is the, the sovereign, the ruler. He's the Lord. He's not, um, it's not human strength that does anything uh, in God's kingdom. Uh, it's through God. It's not advanced by, by humans. And God's, God's vision for the kingdom um, is a place that is um, just and righteous. It's a place where sin can't be. There's this idea of blessing, of goodness, and there's this idea of, of repercussions if uh, bad things happen. It's the thing that separated um, man from, uh, from God in, the, in Genesis chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden. And it's got to be dealt with, right? Um, it has to be um, addressed before um, things can be made right. God's vision for his kingdom is for the whole world. It's not just for this one nation. Abram goes on to have children. They become the nation of Israel. Um, and they're crucial in, 
in worshiping God, in setting themselves apart um, for him. But actually, God's ambition is beyond just this, this, one, uh, this one small country um, in the Middle East. Um, it, goes, it extends to the entire world. Um, and for us to not just be included, but to be included as family members. His vision's for everyone. So what can we take away from this promise? Um, I've been, uh, I don't know about you, but I've been spending a lot of time kind of looking at the news um, over the past, I don't know, however many years. It seems like everything's falling apart. Um, every time I read about like, the state of the UK, the state of the West, you see riots in Hong Kong, um, I kind of just find myself thinking, like, what is going on? I don't know how to, how to deal with this. How can we fix these problems? Why are our politicians not better? Why can't they, um, why can't they just get themselves sorted out and, and just, just fix what's going on? And um, I kind of found myself challenged this week because um, reflecting on this promise, God tells Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And it just kind of reminded me that, um, you know, I think of myself obviously as a, as a British citizen, um, and yeah, we should care about what's going on. We should care about these issues. And we should be trying to work for solutions. But actually, God's kingdom vision uh, is bigger than all of this. And it's not, um, it's not something that, where human strength is enough to do things. Um, and so we can, we can think of all these, we read all these articles about the legal process to stop a no-deal Brexit or whatever it is. But um, actually, it just reminded me that but our home is not here. We're part of God's kingdom first. We're citizens of heaven um, more than we're citizens of the UK or Hong Kong or China or wherever. And as part of God's kingdom, we're part of this plan, this plan that can't be thwarted, this plan that's, that's extended over thousands of years from this one promise uh, made to this one man, Abram, who, um, as far as we can tell, uh, there's nothing special about him, I guess, other than maybe his, his, the strength of his faith. He hadn't done anything that we know of when God came to him in Genesis 12. He just told this guy, go. And so I think for us, I think uh, the, the, the thing that we can take away is, um, is to think about Abram and his response. God says, go. And in, uh, in, in chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Abram went. He's not, he's not um, hindered by the things that, that uh, by, the, by the logistics of how things are going to turn out. He's part of God's plan, and he just obeys it. Um, God reminds him later in, in verse 7 uh, of, of his promise. He says, uh, to your offspring, I'll give you um, this land. And Abram builds an altar there to remember this promise, to remind himself and to remind people um, of what God said. Um, when Abram goes to Egypt um, and takes his, uh, his ill-advised holiday, um, he comes back to that altar, and, and it says in, uh, in, in chapter 13, it says Abram journeyed on. So it's like he takes this pause, he has this, this thing that happens in Egypt, and then he comes back and he journeys on. He, he doesn't have the answers. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know where he's going to be told um, to stop. And, you know, we're not told if he wrestles with this, but I imagine that he probably still has questions. Um, he's probably still kind of thinking, where, are we, where is this going? He's probably asking God what's happening. But he trusts God anyway. He follows anyway. And I think that's, that's, the, um, that's the thing that we should be doing as well. We should be putting our trust in the God who wrote this, this plan down millennia ago. 
the one who sent his own son to die so that he could, um, he could take the curse that is owed to us so that we can be part of his kingdom, so that we can be part of his family. And God had a vision uh, back then, and he still has a vision now, and we're part of that vision. We're part of uh, his kingdom now. And so this promise says, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we're part of that plan now. We are part of that blessing to other nations. Um, in the rest of the, the chapter of, uh, of Galatians 3, um, that verse that I read, um, it tells us that um, as Gentiles, uh, we're part of this nation, the nation of, of Abram, not because of our, of our heritage, of our genealogy, but because of our faith. So, uh, so as we kind of enter into this, this kingdom vision theme for, for our year, for our church, let's remember that this place is not our home, um, that we're part of the nation of, of, is, of, of Abram, the nation of God, the family of God, and that, that his plan extends to, to bless all of the families of the earth, and that we're part of that um, too. Uh, let's pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that that you have this vision for all the people of the world, that you care for everyone here, that, or not just here, but everyone in existence, that, um, that we are your children, that we are accepted into your family. And God, I just pray that, um, that as a church that we can, we can catch that kingdom vision, that we can um, lift our eyes from, uh, from the, the obstacles, the hurdles that that we see in front of us, um, that, we can, that we can get the perspective of, um, of your kingdom plan over thousands of years uh, instead of just looking at, at these, these things in front of us um, and just being so limited in our, in our view. So, Lord, I just pray that you will just um, bless us and that you will teach us uh, what it means to follow your kingdom vision uh, as we step out into this year, um, that you would... Uh, that you would be our, our, our guide, that you would be the one who, um, who's in charge, who's sovereign, Lord. Amen.